And now, from the SBM Studios in Charlottesville, Virginia, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back. I hope you're having a uh, safe and smooth winter during this never-ending pandemic season. Today is January 15th, and that means we have just published the January 2021 issue of Street Photography Magazine. If you haven't seen it yet, head over to streetphotographymagazine.com, or if you subscribe through one of our apps, just open the app and check it out. We are super excited because the January issue kicks off our year of women street photographers with a special issue that features the work by all women. Everything you see in this month's issue was all made by women. All throughout the year, each issue will feature a super talented woman street photographer. And this month, we are featuring the work of Irina Escoffery. She's a nurse in New York City, and she does some really interesting work. She is uh, was a lot of fun to talk to. I know I learned a lot from her, so did Ashley, so be sure to check out the feature with Irina. She's been a regular contributor to our Facebook group, and we thought she was a perfect person to start out the year with. Before we get into the show, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Publishing a Photo Book Workshop, which will be taught by Harvey Stein beginning January 26th. This is a seven-week remote workshop that he'll be conducting over Zoom. In case you hadn't heard about it, this is a course for really anybody who is, number one, just beginning to think about arranging your images into a book form, or number two, if, say, you've completed a project and you're not sure how to approach publishers. Uh, We've decided to limit the number of participants to 10 to ensure that Harvey can give everyone individual attention. Response has been really good. Uh, But we still have a few slots available. So if it's something you plan to do this year, I recommend you sign up pretty soon. But when it does fill up, we're going to start a waiting list. If you don't know Harvey, he is a a longtime New York street photographer. And by the way, this course isn't just for street photographers, but uh, Harvey's a street photographer. He's also a professional photographer. He's published nine books so far. Uh, with his 10th book coming out in the spring of next year. And I think probably what's most important is he's a very accomplished teacher. He teaches at the International Center of Photography in New York, also called ICP. And one of the reasons I wanted to, to work with Harvey on this workshop is because I took a course with him last fall through ICP, which was about photographing people. And for me, it was a transformative experience. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It helped me see things differently and hopefully take my own personal work to the next level. Um, You know, he's just really a good teacher. He's very inspirational and motivating, and he gives great feedback, which is, I think, critical in learning anything. And he's trained thousands of photographers over the years, and many of which I know through the magazine. So if this is something you're even thinking of doing, uh, I recommend you check out the workshop. You can find it at uh, streetphotographymagazine.com slash workshop. Or if you're on the website, just go to our main menu. We have an item called 
courses and workshops, and uh, you'll find it right there. Uh, New York and Boston. As a black and white film photographer, much of his work comes from a number of long-term projects, and I mean long-term projects, including Over the Road about American long-haul truckers, which I found fascinating. In fact, we're going to be publishing part of that work in our March issue of Street Photography Magazine. Aside from being a great photographer, he's also a really good storyteller, which you're going to see for yourself when you listen to my conversation with Michael Ruggiero. Well, Michael, I'd like to start out by asking you if you could just tell us, how, how do you define yourself? That's a tough question. Um, it's something I've been dealing with most of my life. Uh, I would say uh, I'm, a, I'm an artist. You know, I spent many years trying to discover uh, what type of artist I am and what came out to be the best example of um, showing myself uh, who I really uh, was, was through photography. And uh, it, it's, it was a creative output for me. Well, that makes sense. Well, tell us about your journey in photography. How'd you get from being not a photographer to today? Uh, okay, and, and what interested you in the type of photography that you do? Oh, well, uh, so it's hard for me to, to go back and describe things. So I would do the best I can. But uh, I was stationed in Guam uh, in a Coast Guard buoy tender. Uh, back in the early 70s and uh, we made a, a trip to Japan and I picked up uh, a, a camera. I bought a Pentax Spotomatic was my first camera and I started taking pictures. My father uh, used to be an avid photographer uh, taking home video movies, but home movies, they weren't video back then. And so I just somehow it connected with me and then through my tours and back and forth, uh, uh, in, in the service, I took a lot of uh, Kodachromes. And when I came back <clears throat> to uh, America and the States and I got discharged, I would show my pictures to family and they all were very um, uh, uh, complimentary on, on my compositions and what I was taking pictures of. So I kept that in the back of my mind. And then um, I, I still didn't wasn't really capturing the, the uh, feeling about being a photographer yet. So I went to college and I studied different uh, fields of art, uh, writing, uh, uh, painting, uh, other things like that. And then I, um, I went and started, I needed a job. So I, I went into a restaurant and I started to, to cook for a living. And then it's somehow along the line, it hit me to, to go uh, take a course on photography. So I took a course in photography and uh, my instructor, um, Duncan McCoster in San Diego, this is where I, uh, I went to school, introduced me to the classic black and white uh, photography of the 50s and 40s. Uh, specifically, uh, those days it was um, Cartier-Bresson, obviously, um, Walker Evans, and then proceeded into the 60s. I started seeing work of Winogrand and Lee Freelander and uh, uh, Robert Frank. And this inspired me to shoot uh, pictures of that nature of uh, street photography 
black and white, strong compositions. And I just went forward from there. I graduated uh, with a two-year degree. And then I used that cooking experience to travel. And the two met together and it really helped me uh, to do both. You know, so I would work a couple of years as a chef, quit, <laughs> and I'd go to Europe and take some pictures, uh, stay a while. I ended up staying uh, six months, my first time over. Uh, that was through a workshop by uh, the Friends of Photography in Carmel and the New School of New York. They had joined together to do this workshop. Um, Lee Wexler was one of the instructors as well as Ben Fernandez. And I just took some of my best work at that time over there. So, I, you know, I came back to the States and I, like, I did this for about 10 years, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I ended up working a little bit with uh, San Diego Union Tribune as a stringer. And I had a few shows here and there. Um, kept doing it. I just kept trying to get my work out. Uh, going back to cooking to make money, going back to photography and just this seesaw of, of, of working. Uh, it, it, I'm still doing it today, you know, 30 some years later. And I ended up moving to the East Coast to be close to New York City. And uh, subsequently, I've had my work published in several magazines, the Photo Review, um, Fort Collins uh, Center for Photography, uh, the Photographer's Forum. I've done some workshops with Harvey Stein, and um, I had a guest speech at the Hexture Museum in Long Island, and uh, so it's been quite good for me overall, and here I am now speaking with you on Street Photography Magazine, so it's, it's quite exciting, and I'm, I'm very, you know, happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. I know I looked, taking a close look at your work. Matter of fact, uh, just to let everybody know, we met through Harvey Stein, you mentioned him. Yeah. And I was wondering how you guys knew each other. Um, he told me, you're, you're somebody we need to talk to, and I can see why. <laughs> yeah. Well, we met, uh, I went, took a workshop up in Boston, and uh, he was uh, giving his uh, lecture on how to publish a photography book, which is, I see he's doing again online. And I went there because I needed to publish my trucker's book, and I needed to know how to do it. And he needed an assistant. So of course I, I jumped right on that and we got to know each other. And then as the years went by, we kept in touch and uh, now we've become good friends. Uh, that's funny that you took that, uh, the publishing course that he teaches because he's, he's teaching that for us starting January 26th. It's, it was well worth it. You know, you, you can't give up. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta send your stuff out as much as you can. Unfortunately today, it's very, very difficult because a publisher may want to do your work, but you, you still have to come up with the funds. Um, so it's why this, I believe this self publishing has become so strong. I mean, you could publish your own books uh, as many or as less as you want, uh, whatever you can afford. And then you can use that to show your work uh, to, to galleries uh, and other publishers. Um, it's again, like I said, it's very, very difficult to publish, but you can be done. Yeah, you were talking about some of your early influences. One of them, obviously, is Brisson, Cartier Brisson. I heard that you've met him. That's a, a very interesting story. Um, basically, 
when I went to Europe and I stayed in Paris for six months through this workshop with the Friends of Photography and the New School, uh, my purpose for going to take this workshop and to go to Paris was to meet Mr. Bresson. And, and when was this? This was 1983. And, you know, basic, no, I, I say basically, I'm sorry, but it's I, HCB is what I like to call him. So I was, uh, I tried to find his, uh, where he lived on the Rue de Rivoli. And uh, I finally found the address and I would go there weekly for five, six months that I was there. And I uh, left notes on his door and, it, you know, it was, the door just said HCB on it. So that's all it said. But I knew it was him. And there was this elevator that went up to his fourth or fifth floor uh, in, the, in, the, in the courtyard. So the last time I went, I said, this is it. If he doesn't contact me or whatever, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to give up. So as I was taking the elevator down, it's one of those cage elevators. And then I got to the bottom floor and I started walking out the courtyard. This man came in uh, through the front door and he asked me in French. My French was almost okay back then. I've completely lost most of it. But anyway, <laughs> he asked me in French, what are you doing there? You know, and I said, well, I've come to see uh, Cardi Bresson, you know, and he said, well, he, he's doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's old, he's senile. You don't want to see him anymore. You know, he doesn't, <laughs> photography uh he's, he's a really i think he said in french that he was a, an asshole you know calling himself this but i didn't <laughs> know who this guy was you know he was whatever he took the elevator up and i started to leave and i go okay i'm done and he stops the elevator about halfway up and he says if you want in english now he says if you want to meet uh mr uh, cardi Bresson, he's having a show uh tomorrow night at such and such gallery in paris and I, I said oh great so i was all like excited so the next day I went to this gallery early and um, it was all these portraits of his. He had, this was a portrait uh, ex exhibition of his work. And uh, there was this guy sitting in a chair and his head was down and he, he looked like this must be Cardi Brisson because he was probably in his eighties. And I figured Brisson was at least that if not older. And I went up to the man and I, I, I had this, this Pantheon book with Cardi Brisson's work in it. And I gave it to the, the man. I said, Mr. Brisson, would you mind signing this thing? And he says to me in French, uh, impossible, no way, you know, I can't do this, you're crazy. <laughs> and I, so I walked away from him and I, there was a lady at the counter and I said, I guess is that Mr. Brisson, I guess he really is dementia, you know, and old and whatever. He goes, no, 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 that's not Cardi Brisson. That's, that's Andre Cortez. And I said, oh shit. So, I had, I wrote up, I got a piece of paper and I just took it to him and I just, he had, he signed it for me just on a piece of paper. So I got, I was like, wow, you know, here's Cardi Brisson's mentor. And uh, so I left the, the gallery and I came back a couple hours later, place was jammed and everybody was wearing black suits and ties and there, and I'm wearing, <laughs> you know, street photography stuff, you know, and, uh, and I see this guy, he's the center of attention. And it was the guy I met the, the, the day before. And he's kind of eyeing me from the crowd. And I'm, I, I said, you, you son of a bitch. I said, you, you, you're Cardi Brisson. And so I walked up to him and I said, I said, why didn't you tell me who you were? I said, you know, I came all the way from California to see you. And he goes, well, if you don't know who I am, I'm never going to tell you. And he laughed. And then, I, you know, I, he signed the book that I had given Andre Cortez. And then I left out to the streets of Paris. And I felt, you know, just like I was walking on the moon. And that was, that's my, my story. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, that's... you know, 
I just kept on going. Then I stayed another whatever, how many weeks I stayed after that. And, and my career just uh, went from there. You know, I met, I, I, I met him. I got to do what I wanted to do. So, yeah, you're a patient guy. You have to be in this business, uh, especially now where, you know, uh, all the photographers I know that used to be uh, photojournalists, uh, nobody's making a living because mm-hmm. papers don't pay. They don't want to pay anything. Uh, and everything's instantaneous. So if you don't have the equipment, uh, like being somewhere around the world that events are going on, like what just happened a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. uh, it, the stuff goes right out, boom. But if you're an old style photography like me, photographer like me, you know, black and white film, you take it home, you develop the film, you make the prints, it's, it's, it ain't gonna happen. So that's why I enjoy what I do now as an artist. I become, I realized I'm not really a photojournalist, I'm an artist. So yeah. I, I I've come to that conclusion. You think it's better to be, you think maybe you would enjoy or do enjoy photography more because you're not pressured to make a living at it? Yes. And it's something you just, you like to do yes. and you do it well. Yeah. Right. I've, I, again, I've met a few pretty uh, well-known photographers over time. Uh, Mary Ellen Mark, uh, Eugene Richards, Lee Freelander, uh, Dave uh, Winogrand, Gary Winogrand. And they were all very complimentary of me, but be, like you're just saying, because being a chef, I can make a living. And when I, I could do my photography at my own leisure, my own pace and take my time. Uh, and they, they admired that because like you said, they're usually were on deadlines. They had to make a living. I mean, they were art photographers too, but th- their main source of income was, you know, working with deadlines and, and uh, getting it out there that way. It's, it, if I had to take pictures as a, as a chef of my food, I just wouldn't enjoy it. It mm-hmm. just would be too much. You know? People do ask me that. Why don't you take pictures of your food? And I go, it's not what I want to do as a photographer. Well, Michael, I know you're still using film a lot. And I think you're photographing primarily with Leicas, I would imagine. And so why do you continue to use film? I like the process. I like, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's like a painting, I guess, you know, using ink uh, or paints stuff and doing things by hand. It's, it's, it's the hands-on, uh, the whole process going through it be- between putting the film in the camera, um, taking the shot, bringing it home, uh, unloading it, developing it, um, making contact sheets, making a print and, and so forth, and then making a final print and then actually doing the framing, uh, the, whole, the whole process and it takes time. And I, I just, that's the way I learned, that's the way I started. And I, I just enjoy that tremendously. Uh, working with a digital camera, I have, I have used it uh, occasionally, mostly for family things, but uh, it's, this disappears, you know, there's no, nothing in your hands, there's nothing mm-hmm. tangible to look at. You have to go to the computer. You have to find it uh, and bring it up. And then you got to do all these things to it and resolutions and so forth. I'd rather have something in my hands and, and the, actually the smell of chemicals. It's it's unusual, you know. It's 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 uh, just the way I like to do things. Um, the whole process, like I said, that's why I do film. Um, and I do it one type of film. I shoot tri-X, 
one type of developer, uh, the whole process. So there's no, there's no variables. If something goes wrong, I can find the trouble right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's out of focus or if the, the chemicals are not right or whatever, I can discover it. Uh, another reason why I like working with film. Plus the, the resolution uh, of the prints are still the black and white uh, paper with film and chemicals, there's still much more information uh, in the depth of it, the, of the photo, of the oh, print, yeah. you know, where digital still has that posterization look to it. It still doesn't seem to have the roundness as, as a black and white gelatin, uh, gelatin print, silver gelatin print. It's funny. You like the hands-on part of, of working with film and you're a chef also yeah. Hand obviously work. very tactile yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. must be how you're wired i guess i guess you know uh the reason i think i've always stuck with black and white also is because when i was 18 19 i uh when i joined the, the military i wanted to fly helicopters mm-hmm. and i went through the whole process until i got to the eye exam and they told me i had no depth perception I said, what are you talking about? You know, he says, well, if you land on an aircraft carrier and there's two different lights, is you're not going to tell which one is closer, which one's farther. So you're going to crash. So (laughs) that seems for me, psychologically, that seems to be why I take black and white pictures, because in black and white, you need to move, you know, to get the composition. Everything stands out by itself or color seems to just blend together. It doesn't bother you as much for me. Because I see mostly with my left eye, my right eye doesn't focus, because that's uh, it's amblyopia. It's it's a hmm. birth effect of some sort. So I like I said, I see two dimensionally. So when you shoot with a digital camera, do you do it in black and white mode? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Anyway, not always, not always, but but I've learned to to see now uh, because of digital. I've learned to see the color. Um, I move. I move just like if I was shooting black and white. It still disturbs me, you know. If I if things aren't clear, you know, if nothing's hidden behind each other, as long as it stands out in the composition, uh, that's when I can take the photograph. So you said you're using only triax, huh? Triax, yeah. I mean, until they stop making it. I'm, Hopefully they don't. The motion changed about 10, 12 years ago, and it, and I, I, it became more contrasty, and I didn't like that. So I had to change my development times and so forth to make it work. But it's, again, it's just something I'm comfortable with. You know, I'm not saying it's better than anything else. Yeah. Some people like uh, different types of other film. Uh, Ilford is still around. Uh, different speeds, 200, 100. But, you know, I just, again... The 400 is works for me. Do you ever do you push it or pull it much? No, nope. always the same. Just just box speed, huh? Because when you're shooting street photography, the light is constantly changing in and out, shadows, bright mm-hmm. days, overcast days. You know, unless you're changing your film uh, and the camera for specific things, which again, I, I have the luxury of shooting when I want to shoot. So it, it's, uh, I don't have to do that. And uh, to push and pull all the time, it's just too much work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't expose it properly, then that's the way it goes, you know. So that's why you take, uh, if you have the luxury of shooting two or three times of a subject, you can, you know, change the exposures. 
uh, bracketing it, but uh, most of the time you don't. As you're walking down the street, yeah, you know, uh, you're in and out of shade, shadows. Uh, like I said, you especially in New York City, you go from the outside down into the subway. It's extreme different uh, lighting situations. So you just have to know in your mind um, these these occurrences, and and they're 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 constant. You know, once you learn mentally to keep uh, your exposures uh, the uh, way they should be, uh, another reason why I like shooting with uh, an old-fashioned camera is you have to do it yourself. I do manual. Mm-hmm. Not you surprised. Learn. It takes less time. You spend more time with your mind looking at something than looking at the camera. As you see most digital photographers today, I would say half the time they're looking at their camera you know, seeing what they just took, how yeah. they pose or not, and then they could be missing a lot of stuff. Chimping. Stop the chimping. <laughs> uh, that's another reason I shoot with a film. So. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I rarely look at the back of my camera. Just like you say, it takes your eye away from what's going on. I, um, you know, I learned, I learned on film, obviously. And, um, you know, developed my own black and white for years and got away from it when digital came, being a techno geek myself, and um, started shooting film again. Harvey inspired me to do that, and it just felt, it felt so confining. They all know I've only got one ISO to work with, yeah. and Hello. what if I mess this up? And, 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 you know, I don't have any of my developer, you know, my, any of my, you know, gear anymore. So I sent it off to be, you know, developed and scanned and the scans didn't look good. Oh, I've scanned my black and white eggs and I still, I still don't like them. I, what I do is I just take a print, one of my black and white prints. Oh, yeah. I photograph it with the digital camera, then put it in a computer. If I try to scan it, you know, you need a $40,000 scanner to really make it, you know, get the crossover. Yeah. I have a scanner. And it won't work with the newer computers because they're, you know, the software, the operating system is like 32-bit. Yeah. And they'd have to buy another scanner. I know. That's another reason I don't like computer stuff, digital, because it's the constant change, constant change. you got to keep upgrading and it's just too much. I want to keep it simple. Yeah. So so you've got a full dark room and everything. You'd have to. The whole thing, yeah thing this is this is my how where i live now this is my fourth or fifth darkroom uh through my travels that i've reconstructed each time i go you know move somewhere so if somebody wanted to put a dark room together i mean can you still buy a decent and larger at a good uh, price there's a, or? Of, there's a lot of stuff online that people are trying to dump you know, a good friend of mine locally had a, a photoshop and uh, he, he had to get rid of everything, all his darkroom equipment and uh, enlargers and trays, the whole nine yards, and nobody wanted it. So he had to, ended up going to the dump, and those things cost a lot of money. Yeah, I had I had an enlarger several years ago. I, I couldn't sell it. I wound up just giving it away. I mean, even a local high school wouldn't take it. They just don't. There's, everything's digital. That's just what it is. If you want to be a you know, commercial working photographer today, you have to shoot digital and work with the computer. Oh, yeah. If you want to shoot like I do, then you just take it as an art form and you know, go to go to uh, clubs and 
get your stuff out in magazines and like what we're doing now. There's a lot of online stuff now, magazines, competitions. Uh, it's it's fine. I, I you know I'm enjoying it. So let's talk about some of your work. You've done some really interesting projects. And in fact, hopefully you'll you'll publish one of them in our magazine. Yeah. I think people would love to see it. Some of that. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to ask you about one in particular. The, well, they all caught my eye, but uh, I like the one you did on truckers. Okay. And, you know, Michael actually spent time on the road with truck drivers. It looks like a lot of it in part of the country I come from, okay. up in the... Up in northern Ohio, I see some of Michigan and that you've taken. And what can you tell us about that project? What what interested you to even get started? And what was it like doing it? Okay, um, that came about initially. Uh, my family was from Pennsylvania, and in the late fifties, uh, my father and us we drove across country to California. Uh, and as a little boy, I noticed, you know, the open road and the highways and these big trucks would drive past us going, you know, 70 miles an hour. Then later on, when I moved to New York from California, I drove again across country with my father. And this memory brought up uh, these truck stops and, and trucks in general. And uh, on our way across, I would take pictures, started taking pictures of truck stops. So when I got to New York and after I settled down, I said, well, this could be a great project. Uh, and then, you know, uh, a self-propelled project. So the first time I went out on the road, I hitchhiked across back to California and I met several truckers and rode along with them and, and learned about their way of life and their, you know, who they were. And then, um, I got stuck a few places going across country and I realized that this may not be the best way to do it. <laughs> so going back to like the earlier, our earlier conversation about cooking, I'd go back to kitchens, cook, save my money up again. And then I would take a break. And then the, the second, third time I went out, I had a, a Volkswagen camper bus. So I lived in that. And I then I did the same thing. I stopped at truck stops. I talked to truckers uh, in coffee shops. Eventually I became a trucker. I wore a hat. I've got cowboy boots. I picked up the slang uh, and I had a CB and I would talk to them and I actually recorded some conversations, which hopefully this will all come together in a book someday. And that's how it went. And I did this for from 92 to I still actually still do it. But from 92 to 98 was uh, was what I was heavily doing it quite extensively. And that's where most of those pictures are from that period. Uh, but now with the things changing with uh, um, driverless cars and stuff, I think these truckers are in danger. Of mm -hmm. losing jobs. So I'm trying to figure out a way to go back out on the road and catch up with this project. Unfortunately, with the virus, I, I can't really I can't do it. So I have to wait. So there might be another year yet before I can do this. Uh, and I'd like to just continue it. It's just. So did you say you actually became a truck driver yourself for a while? I met um, like an, like a, I don't know, like an actor, let's say, you know, I, I became a trucker, a trucker. Oh, would go stop at a truck stop and I would go to the coffee shop or the, the cafeteria where truckers usually congregate. 
and I had my boots on and my jacket and my cowboy hat. And, uh, you know, I would sit down and, and what you would do, what I would do is I'd always carry a thermos because mm-hmm. these truckers, what they would do, they bring this thermos in and the waitress would fill it up for two bucks, you know, and that's what I started doing. And then I would strike up a conversation and they thought I was a trucker, you know, <laughs> and I, after doing this for several years, I had, like I said, the, the, the language down and, uh, you know, the CB and I would know what was going on. And then I would say, okay, by the way, I'm not really a trucker. I'm, I'm a photographer and I'm doing this, yeah. this, like, you know, this project. And uh, I'd say 90% of the time they would say, sure, no problem. Let's take a picture. So. But kind of like what Harvey does, he, he has a way of going up to people and talking to them. Mm-hmm. That's how he has his style. And it, being the, doing the trucker stuff, you have to have a lot of courage and belief in yourself to mm-hmm. to go up to talk to somebody you don't know and you know and either be accepted or be rejected but you know it's if you want to do that type of photography you you know got to do that you got to get close as as uh, robert kappa used to say if you're not close enough you know you're not going to get the shot so. no that is so true too many of us just stand back and just well, take them from a distance and it's not the same. Nope. Yeah, I, I think that's true with anything. Uh, you know, you got to be confident in yourself and, and you've got to, uh, you know, be comfortable with what you're doing and be good with people. Yes. Yes. You have to be good with people. Yeah. Uh, and me, I, I, I'm very jovial most of the time. I can make people laugh. Uh, working in the kitchen, same thing. You know, I'm kind of the center of attention because I'm older and the younger guys look up to me and I make them laugh and I keep the stress levels down. And uh, that's, you know, I believe that's all part of experience, life experience of you know, dealing with situations. You know. I think uh, we chatted a few days ago before before we set this up and you said that sometime in the near future you're going to be taken off again with your with your tent and gonna be gonna be traveling on some project what is you what is it you're gonna be doing um i'm thinking of uh moving to florida which a lot of new yorkers seem to do <laughs> they all do yeah um and i'm thinking of uh what um, senior like doing senior citizens as i am now on on all these uh gated communities down in florida I mean, I'm sure there's quite the story uh, of, of people, what they do in their golf carts and <laughs> shorts and endless types of things that are, you know, game, car, card games and golf, you know, whatever, all that stuff. I just... It, it, uh, you mean like the villages? About that. I've heard of the villages. Yeah. <laughs> but specifically, I'm looking at this corridor... Uh, between Tampa and uh, Fort Myers. So are you going to make this a photo project? Eventually, eventually. My my other projects that I'm still continuing to do is the street photography. Uh, that's ongoing. Uh, when I, I like to drive down south or, or west and just stop wherever I see something that just looks interesting. American, uh, again, being a... a 50s kind of 
child growing up in the 50s and being enamored with Robert Frank's work uh, that still still appeals to me and uh, I like to do that type of work um, plus the going to New York City uh, shooting with Harvey Stein uh, just walking the streets it's just it's a great I just love doing that and the truckers, you know, so there's still some of that to do. So I have a lot of things I can still do uh, once I retire from uh, being a chef, which will be probably this year. So I got to ask you about this one photo you took in the truckers project. Just this is personal curiosity. Sure. It's a it's a photo of a bridge truck driving across a big long bridge. Yes. And I think I know where that is. You, you may not even remember. I remember it's a gorge. I think it's West Virginia. Oh, it is. Oh, it's the gorge. Okay. Okay. And, I, th I thought it was the, uh, I thought it was on Interstate 80 over the Cuyahoga River, but. It might be because like I, I was trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, explain is when I take trips, I, I try to go what they call the blue roads and go off, off the beaten track. I, I, especially nowadays with the freeways, you know, it's just, there's nothing to see on the freeway. Uh, going 85 miles an hour and uh, I was going on this was part of my truckers trip and I pulled off there's a tourist spot right there where you can take a look at this bridge you can stand off to the side and I uh, was waiting you know like I normally do I was just waiting for something to to happen relating to my truckers and this lone trucker was crossing the bridge and I got the shot and it was one time you know, most of my shots that are excellent, uh, that I love the most, are one shot. There's no before or after. There's usually that decisive moment, you know, which has kind of been overused nowadays. But Yeah, I get that. It was. You know. I get that. So you've got another project in here called Corkers. What the heck is a corker? <laughs> uh, out on the eastern... Uh, end of Long Island in Montauk specifically, uh, they have a what they call a fall run, uh, where the striped bass come down from uh, Canada, or they come and come out through the Sound, and they pass by Montauk, and it's a it's a it's a world uh, famous place for fishing in the fall, and around the lighthouse, uh, there's all these huge boulders and rocks, and the uh, fishermen the uh, casters they they. They use these shoes called corkers. They're like spikes on them so they don't slip off the rock. So I started this project, uh, not again, 20 years ago. And I started photographing these guys standing on these rocks, casting, you know, their fishing lines. And, and, I, and I got so far with it. And it's just quite interesting <clears throat> because all these people come from all around the world. There's hundreds of them, hundreds, and they camp out in, in uh, their, their RVs. They come from all over the place, all around the country. And, and I just, uh, you know, found myself a project. And that's one of the uh, things I learned a long time ago is if, if you can't travel and go to exotic places to take pictures, photograph your own surroundings, you know, find something of interest, and make it a project. So when you don't have a project, and you, and you, and you, you know, you want, you know, you, you want to start working on something. Yeah. 
what do you look for? Do you, are you just like using your intuition, something that just pops into your head? Or are you looking for something specific graphically? Or maybe you don't even think about it and you just do it. I, I, I'm looking for something with people, mostly. Something with people in it. And some sort of uh, you know, working class, subculture, if you will, uh, part of America is what, what I try to focus most of my projects on. I've done slate quarry workers in you know, eastern Pennsylvania, uh, truckers. Uh, another project I just kind of lost touch with is uh, the local Bayman here. And uh, that's a subculture. These are hardworking men that have been doing it for generations. Truckers have been doing it for generations. You know, this is kind of where I focus in on. <clears throat> and when I'm not shooting a project, I have all my work that I still have to print, all, all the work back, back work I need to look at and try to put together these uh, small little books of each one. So I'm hoping to put together a trucker's book, a Bayman book, uh, a street photography book. Yeah, this the Bayman, I was going to ask you what, what you mean by Bayman, but this is this one is beautiful. Well, the Bayman, they're called Bayman because uh, Eastern Long Island is surrounded by bays. And these fishermen have been doing this uh, for three, four hundred years. And each now that they're on the wane because the, they can't make a living at it anymore. There's been so many changes in quotas and government rules. And uh, they, they just can't do it, but they would go from bay to bay and t different types of sustainable fishing. Uh, so they're not like deep sea fishermen or draggers or that, that sort. They're baymen because they work mostly in the bay. And the bays are you know not that deep. They can be only 50, 60 feet. And they fish different times of the year. So, and they also fish for clams, oysters, mussels, once, once in the fall, when the fall runs happen, they do fish on the ocean, but it's it's on the surf. So, but that's uh, I discovered that these these baymen, or the, especially the ones that have been doing it for generations, uh, the future generation, their children probably won't be doing it because they just can't they can't afford to do it economically. It doesn't look like they can bring much back in those little boats. Well, again, it's the same thing. You know, the the price of fish has gone skyrocketed so high, and uh, the quotas have, have come down so low, they can't they can't catch enough fish to sell. The government won't let them. You know, the regulations have changed so much. Uh, they unfortunately they've been caught in that web of regulation between the deep sea fishing, which is a big problem. You know, I'm an environmentalist by heart. And I, I'm attached to that kind of uh, concern about the, you know, the, the world's population of fish. A lot of people don't really understand that. Uh, the decline over the last centuries, how much fish we've lost. So being a chef, how does your work as a chef influence your photography and vice versa? Well, that's a good good question because I, I really the only thing I, I can think of is it's one helps the other. Mm -hmm. So when I'm cooking for a living, I'm making a living. I'm I'm making an income mm -hmm. to support my my life, my family. Uh, 
And the energy that I have within me, it gets expelled through that. And the camaraderie I have in a kitchen with all the other cooks and employees. Uh, and then going to photography, uh, I can be by myself alone. It's, it's just a weird, you know, it's, I get to go out and do something with passion. Uh, I love to cook, but my passion is photography, if that you know explains anything. Yin and a yang. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a yin and yang person, black <laughs> and white, left and right, up and down. What? I mean, what, what kind of cooking do you do? I mean, are you... I do... Every, Italian food or my, French or... My heart is into Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, style of cooking uh, mainly because my family my father was his father was from Italy and uh, I grew up eating Italian food most of my life up until you know and mm -hmm. now um, but when I got into cooking it, it didn't matter at that point you know I was just a job but I learned uh, French fundamentals uh, and I learned how to base cook the basic things and I, I just progressed Every time I would come back from one of my photography odysseys, I would just walk into a kitchen and elevate myself. I'd go better and better and better, higher end restaurants, hotels, country clubs, and uh, it's it's just I was just good at it. You know, people would just tell me how good I was, and but yet I was upset because I couldn't get my photography <laughs> going as much. So it's just weird, you know. So I guess cooking was my calling. Uh, I couldn't avoid it. Uh, but photography is my passion. I just, I feel, I let my soul out more when I take pictures. It just makes me feel better. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I like to explain it. You know, like I said, that was a good question. If you could make a full-time living f doing photography, would you do that? No. <laughs> yeah. Not anymore. I mean, there was a time, uh, my goals were to be part of Magnum. Um, I, I've met several of them, you know, I've corresponded with them. I sent them my work, uh, every year in June, they have a portfolio review. I would do this and it just, it just never, it just either wasn't good enough or the timing or whatever it was it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, I did work for some newspapers, uh, you know, I guess same thing. I would send them my work. I, it, they would print stuff once in a while, but I was never hired full time. So. I would just stick with the cooking and now it's just, it's just the way I live. It's uh, I understand it. Um, I'm doing my artwork. It's fine. Uh, I would never, you know, want to be a photographer full-time, uh, make a living at it. It's especially today, maybe, you know, 20, 25 years ago, but today it's just impossible. There's, you know, I, I feel bad for those photographers out there. So many look at, you know, like I said, just what happened a couple of days ago, there was, yeah, everybody had a cell phone. You can't, you can't, you can't compete with that. No, except most of the pictures are crap, but yeah, other but than that, they don't care anymore. You know, no, that's, that's true. That's true. Instantaneousness of it. Yeah. My, my son went to school to be a photojournalist. He's a very talented photographer. He got out of school. I think it was 2004, worked as a photojournalist for a year, and then got laid off when they all the newspapers were cutting back. They and said uh, somewhere I read that 300 newspapers and 4,000 employees have been dropped this past year. Oh, I believe it. 
So I believe it. It's you know, and it's sad. I mean, we really need local news. Um, I think about. I lived in Cleveland for many years, and we had a um, the uh, the whole city and county were run by run by one party. It was the Democratic Party. It doesn't really matter what they are. I think when one party's in charge, they you know it gets corrupt, and then we had these county officials who are super corrupt. And if it wasn't for one guy at the local newspaper who kept on it. Yeah. They'd probably still be in power. Now they're in in prison, and uh, that wouldn't happen now. That that newspaper is it's it's still there, but it's just hollowed out, and that would never happen now. Yeah, I even th- considered working in the film industry uh, one time. Yeah, you know, living in California. So, and a friend of mine uh, from Paris, uh, he, he's in Paris now. But he was uh, uh, working with me at a hotel in San Diego, <clears throat> and we produced this film. We made an eight millimeter film called Walk in the Shade. <laughs> really? It's a film noir based on uh, a detective in San Diego. It's it's uh, still in production after 30 years. We still haven't finished it. <laughs> <laughs> so that keeps me going. Uh, sort of like Riven. There's yeah. a there's a movie. I made a documentary of this guy who was making this movie up in northern Michigan. Just okay. this guy, you know, and, and he was just always scraping money together to make this movie. It was called Riven. I, I wish I could remember the name of the documentary because it's it's fascinating. It's funny and it's sad. And I don't think he ever finished the movie, but well, he tried. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, if, if you if you have a passion, then you, you must pursue it. And, yes. Keep going, you know. It, don't give up. Never give up. Yeah, it, especially if you love it. You know, just do it for yourself. And if, if the stars are in alignment, and you know, you can be more successful at it. But just do it for the passion. You know, every artist will tell you that usually. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, well, before we go, I want to ask you one other question here about framing. You know, we we print so few of our pictures nowadays, and um, I'm personally interested in printing more of my photos and framing them. And I think a lot of people are, and you you do it a lot. I can see we're we're doing this on Zoom. I can see a photo you frame over your shoulder there. And uh, I mean, do you frame all your photos the same or? Does it depend upon the the subject matter? I, I see one you got there. You've got a, a big, um, a, you know, a big mat around it. This one? Yeah, it's it's, it's over your left shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That um, usually I don't do the framing until I'm accepted into a gallery, you know, mm. or, or group show, some sort of jury show. Uh, for instance, like uh, I had a, a picture in the bian- biannual. Hegsch Museum a few years ago and there was one image and so I you know made made the print and then I buy the uh, the card the, the board four ply uh, archival all that stuff and then I buy the, the frame uh, metal that goes around it they're all mm-hmm. you know, measure it out and then you can order it and then you put it together just put it together and uh, that's about it it's not that difficult and then I have a little a cutter to cut the, yeah. the mat out, you know, and 
if you do it enough times, it just becomes routine. My, my mother was a painter, and she also framed. She framed her own work, she framed it for friends, and uh, I don't look pretty. And she had all the equipment, and we got rid of it after she passed away. I'm wishing I'd, we would have kept it. But, uh, yeah, it's expensive. It's just, you know expensive to make uh, to buy or have a, a frame shop do your frame. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Doing if you have a show with twenty pictures, twenty images, it's. So what uh, what paper do you normally print on? Uh, I use Oriental. Oriental paper. It's been around for quite some time. Uh, I like the tones. Do you prefer? Is that a matte? Is that it, a matte finish? It, um, I forget what it's called anymore. I really haven't paid attention to it, but it's it's like a pearl, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matte. It's not glossy. It's somewhere in between the two. And it's a fiber-based, so it, it's archival. Mm-hmm. lasts a lot longer. You know, that's one of the selling points. Um, then I use a selenium tone, which, again, gives it more uh, longevity. It, it also brightens it up a bit. Gets a little more uh, bluer. How many? I mean, do you get it right every time when you print, or do you have? Will you make several, several versions? No, I uh, I start off with an eight by ten version, uh, and then if if I like the the image enough, I will go back and go up to eleven by fourteen, and it usually takes me two to three days to make a, a final print that I'm happy with. Um, unlike working with a computer, you can just keep manipulating it, mm-hmm, you know, sure. out in the dark room. If, if you spot with your hands, uh, burn and dodge with your hands and cards and other things you need to do to get things, you got one, one chance at it. Then you got to develop it and take a look and you, you got to go back, do it again, do, do it again until you're happy. The best, uh printer I know of that got a lot of accolades for his prints was Eugene Richards. I mean, I'm uh, sorry, Eugene Smith. Mm-hmm. I kind of look at his work to give me uh, uh, help, well, what to look for in, a, in an image, uh, the tones and so forth. Speaking of Eugene Smith, I saw an excellent movie about him. Did you see that where he, he lived in Manhattan in an old office building. That's where all the famous jazz musicians lived. I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. It, it's really good. Well, I was going, speaking of somebody like Eugene Smith, uh, if you want to study black and white photography, you know, go to the masters, go to the classics. Oh yeah. There's a lot of books online you can get. Uh, I have a collection of maybe 100 books that are in my inspiration. I look to them. Uh, whenever I feel uh, that down, I need you know some uplifting, I, I grab one of my old books, and it brings me right back up. Yeah, I'm, I'm building a collection. Matter of fact, my next, my next one, I want to I get Eugene Smith's Pittsburgh book. Yeah, that's not a cheap one. <laughs> no, it's not. I asked for it for Christmas and never... Yeah. No, Never arrived. Uh, that whole story with him in Pittsburgh, um, I think he was there three years. Yeah. And uh, he shot I don't know, a godly amount of film, and Magnum was just feeding it to him, and he, he finally said stop. 
I think he didn't he go there for like a one week assignment and he just yeah. stayed. Yeah. Right. He worked with uh, I think the mayor or somebody of the city, and, you know, so he knew where the locations were and he just ended up staying. I mean, that's that's kind of my fantasy, you know, to to live in a place for a long time uh, in some hotel room and do nothing but just get up, go shoot, eat, come back, get up, go shoot, you know, shoot thousand rolls of film. And then you'll, you'll, if you shoot a thousand rolls of film, you're going to get 20 good images somewhere. So, yeah. That was one of the things that one of my instructors told me a long time ago. He said, just keep shooting. He said, if you don't print, if you don't do anything about it, just keep photographing, you know. And I, at one time I had uh, negatives in the, still in the can that were, you know, I hadn't developed for three, four years. But they were still there, you know. And, uh, Again, going back to working photographer, working photographer, he can't. He doesn't have that luxury. He's got to yep. shoot it, get it out. It's gone. You know. So Keep these moving. Were, these were like Christmas gifts to me. It's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't developed this in three years. Let me take a look. And it's like, oh man, that's right. Look at that. I forgot about that shot. You know. <laughs> sure, especially if you've, it's still in the can. It's, Digital, it's, you can always scan through them on the computer. But this, yeah, you've got to take the time to develop them. Well, why don't you tell us where you can be found online? Where can people see your work? Uh, well, it's uh, photoshelter.com. And specifically, my username is M-K-R-U-G-G-I-E dot photoshelter, one word, dot com. Like Rugi. I'm, I'm starting to print again because I haven't been cooking now for a couple of months. Where uh, I work here, I'm fortunate again that I, I work seasonally as a chef. So now I divulge. I mean, I mean, dig, dig, uh, dig into my photography again, and I'm going to start printing stuff. I like. I was just telling you about stuff I haven't seen in three years, and uh, hopefully, I'll be putting them into my website. Well, that's easy enough. Well, Michael, thank you. I uh, appreciate the time. It's my ultimate pleasure. I really, really appreciate. It. Thank you very much. Thank you.